Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to Basically Blind. I'm your host, Avery. This is a podcast where I share my experience living with vision loss, as well as topics around diversity, equity, inclusion, and accessibility. For this week's episode, I was inspired with uh, events that happened recently, actually today when I'm recording this, uh, and that is going to the eye doctor for myself. This probably doesn't seem that remarkable, and it's something that I almost thought about not talking about, but I realized that my version of going to the eye doctor is very different from what most people experience. When most people think about going to the eye doctor, they think about going to an optometrist where you go, you look at the eye chart, you say the different letters, you figure out your acuity, and then they use that contraption with the different lenses to figure out what type of glasses or contacts you might need to improve your vision. And that's really the end of it. Maybe you go in once a year, maybe you go in twice a year. A lot of times people don't necessarily go regularly if they don't have a specific eye condition. It's just when they notice that their glasses or contacts aren't working as well for them as they used to. But for myself, I don't go to an optometrist. I actually go to an ophthalmologist and I specifically go to a retina specialist since I have a degenerative retinal condition that I've talked about previously in the episode, The Diagnosis, and you can go back and listen to that. Um, but I go, um, the, the brief piece of it is that I have an umbrella diagnosis of cone rod retinal dystrophy and a lot of more specific diseases fit under that category, but the doctors don't exactly know what I have. So it's always interesting. I wonder, I go in and I wonder if the eye doctors love my case or if they don't, you know, it's, it's something new and fresh. So, you know, variety is the spice of life, but at the same time, it, it must be very frustrating to not be able to pinpoint a diagnosis. Um, but I go to um, the UW Medicine Retina Clinic that's in South Lake Union in Seattle. And my doctor is Dr. Chow. She's wonderful. Um, I'm really lucky that all the doctors that I've worked with my entire life have really liked. They're really good people. And um, so I'll check in and they'll do an acuity test, but with how low my vision is, instead of me looking at a chart of letters, they just hold up their fingers and they'll be like, you know, can you see how many fingers are here? And this is different from the microaggressions that I talked about in previous episodes. Um, this is actually them doing a test. Um, so I was trying to actually figure out today, you know, on a scale of like 2020, what my vision is. And <laughs> I asked and they didn't really even give me an answer. They're like, oh, well, you can see fingers at about like a foot and a half. And I was like, Oh, okay. So apparently that is how they gauge my vision is I can detect the number of fingers at about a foot and a half away. Um, 
And so they'll do that test. They'll ask me how things are going. They'll check to see if I'm on any medications. Um, they'll do an eye pressure test to make sure that, um, there aren't any issues. I, I believe that, and I don't know this for a fact, but I believe that there's issues with detaching retinas when there are pressure issues. And so they want to make sure that there isn't anything that's creating problems with a, a bad eye, eye pressure. But to do this, they have to put numbing drops in your eyes because they, they use a contraption that actually kind of like touches your eye. That's always really tough for me because my eye, I know what's coming and my brain knows what's coming. So I really fight it. I have to kind of zone out for them to do it. If I'm focused on what's happening, I, I just, I end up closing my eyes and it takes forever to do it. Um, so they put in the numbing drops. Once they've done that, then they put in drops to dilate my eyes, which is so much fun because I'm already light sensitive and I already have blurry vision. And then we dilate my eyes and it gets worse. Um, so then they leave me alone for about 15, 20 minutes for the drops to kick in. And then a technician comes and gets me and I do a series of um, imaging with my retina. So they will take uh, pictures of like a large swath of my retina as well as zoning in on like specific areas of the retina to, to take pictures of the back of my eye. And I was asking the technician what exactly the retina looks like. And she mentioned, well, on, um, on Caucasian people, it usually kind of has an orangey look to it. And it prompted me to ask a question that I'd never thought of before. I go, oh, can retinas be different colors for different ethnicities? And she goes, yeah, actually, on, on black people, it tends to be much darker. And I never knew that that was the case. I, I thought that once you kind of like get inside someone, like once you're inside their organs, like things are kind of just the same, but apparently there are some differences there. Um, so then once the images are taken, then I'm taken back to the room where I'd first, um, first been evaluated. And then I have to wait for the doctor to look over the scans and then come. So I honestly end up sitting there for usually at least half an hour. And that's not normally a problem, but it was a little bit of a problem today because my phone battery was really low. And um, my dad had taken me in to the doctor and went off to run some errands. So I knew that if I used my battery to listen to podcasts, I might be putting myself in a situation where I couldn't easily call him later. So I kind of just had to sit there in silence <laughs> for a while um, and just wait. Um, so I guess in a way, I just use it as a time to either nap sitting upright or meditate or reflect on my thoughts. And then at that point, um, my doctor, Dr. Chow, comes in. And she's so nice. Like she wants to know what's going on in your life, um, you know, ways that things can be improved. And and then this this uh, trip, I had her also sign 
um, some paperwork so that I'm able to take advantage of the services of the Washington Talking Book and Braille Library because I used it when I was younger, but then I stopped using it because to use the cassettes, you had this huge bulky player um, and I just, I didn't want to have to, I mean, it was giant. It was like, I think yellow. This thing was probably 10 pounds. It was very retro looking. Um, and they send it to you for free. It's not a matter of cost. It's just more inconvenient, but they have upgraded their technology significantly. And now instead of sending you cassettes, they actually send out people, they send to people thumb drives that have 10 different books. And then you plug that into the digital player. Um, but I'm actually not interested in utilizing it for that. I want to utilize, they have a really um, extensive audiobook library that you can use. And unlike when you use the audio downloads from the Seattle Public Library that expire after a certain amount of time, you can download these books and they never expire for you. And I spend an exceptional amount of money on Audible. And so if I can cut that down at all, I'm completely excited about that. They also have magazine subscriptions. And something that I'm kind of interested in is they have an extensive music library. And it's not music in the sense of, you know, putting on some Adele or some Britney Spears, but they have audio versions of sheet music so that people who have low to no vision can listen and then play the music. You don't have to see it. And when I was in fifth grade, I took clarinet lessons. Um, well, when I say lessons, I, I was in the band, so I learned it through the band. I didn't have private lessons on top of it. But I stopped playing, one, because I just was practicing so much it wasn't fun for me anymore. But the other piece was that I knew that as time went on, it was going to be harder and harder for me to read sheet music. And I'd have to put in so much time to have to just memorize all the songs completely. I wasn't going to be able to rely on the sheet music. So I stopped playing and it's been a barrier for me wanting to pick up an instrument. So I'm, I'm kind of curious to explore these audio files they have for sheet music and to see if potentially picking up an instrument is something that I could do now because I didn't know this was available to me. But uh, for anyone who has low vision or no vision, or um, if you have um, dyslexia or any other type of reading disability, you're actually able to use the services through the Washington Talking Book and Braille Library. Um, and most uh, most states do have some sort of a um, library you can take advantage of. And um, if you live outside of the United States, but you are a U.S. citizen, you can be served through the library located in Washington, D.C. They'll, they'll source it out through there. And you can even take advantage of these services if you live um, in Puerto Rico or Guam. Puerto Rico has their own library, and, um, and Guam is serviced by the libraries of Hawaii. So... 
I learned all this actually on a recent training um, that I took part in through the Junior League of Seattle, where they had a, a few librarians from the Washington Talking Book and Braille Library, Watable, as they call it, come on and, and talk about all the services. And if you do have low vision, it, even if you're not looking necessarily for the books, um, they have a lot of really great services. Like for kids, they have like a pen pal program. And that's something I wish I had taken advantage of when I was younger because it it took me a very long time to meet people that also had low vision um, or no vision. And I think that especially going through middle school and high school, that could have been something really beneficial to have taken part in. So make sure that you're looking into all the options that are available. So um, anyways, my doctor, Dr. Chow, she did sign my paperwork for me. And so I'm going to be able to send that in and be set up with those services soon. Um, But yeah, so when she came in, uh, we talked about you know, what's going on with my life? Has my vision gotten worse? And I was really excited to hear that she she took a really long time looking at my scans because there's one set of scans that I get done every single year. And then there was another set of scans that she's done every other year. And she was comparing the ones in 1999 to the ones that I had done today. And she said that she was meticulously looking at every single vessel in my eye to see if there was any change. But according to the scans, it's pretty much identical. Like there hasn't been any further deterioration, which when you have a degenerative condition, that is just pretty much the best news that you can get. You're not expecting to hear that, oh, all of a sudden your eyes have magically healed themselves and your vision's improving. That's... That would be amazing, but that's not realistic. And I don't expect to ever hear that when I go to the doctor. And I'm just absolutely thrilled to hear that, hey, it's it's stabilized. We can't detect any further deterioration. So was really happy to hear that. And um, and then I was talking to her about the other organizations that I've been getting involved with and the work that I've been doing more around advocacy uh, for people with disabilities. Um, And one of the things that I had mentioned to her that if you live in the Seattle area, and I'll post information about this to the podcast Facebook page, um, but if you have a a disability, um, the city of Seattle in conjunction with the Seattle Fire Department and King County Disability Consortium is putting on a fully accessible um, vaccination site um, on May 2nd, and I believe it's at the Rainier Beach Community Center, and I'll have the link where you can register for that. And this is not just for like if you're visually impaired, but if you have any sort of a disability or mobility issue, if you're you're a senior, you can take advantage of this. And they're going to have even ASL interpreters on site to help. So it's a really great thing that's being put on. And so I highly encourage anyone that needs these services, or if you know anyone that needs these services, please let them know. Um, and again, I'll have that link posted to the podcast Facebook group. Um, but yeah, I talked about that. I told her about it and they were really interested. So I shared the information with them so they could share with other colleagues and patients. And um, and then, you know, we talked about me doing a follow-up also with 
the other member of my my eye team, which is I see a neural ophthalmologist for the nystagmus that I have, which is a shaking of the eye um, that came about because of vision loss. So I I kind of had it's not an absolute necessity for me to go to those. So I honestly didn't book an appointment. I should have gone in January if I was keeping up on it. But just with COVID and everything, if it's not a necessary appointment, I didn't really want to be at a hospital or anything like that. So, but now that I'm fully vaccinated, um, I definitely feel a lot more comfortable. And on the lines of being fully vaccinated, in case anyone hadn't heard this already, um, Office Depot as well as Staples are offering that you can come into any of their locations. And if you've been fully vaccinated, uh, you can get your vaccination card laminated for free. That way you don't have to damage it. I had I had my vaccination card um, and I kept it in my coat pocket from the first time that I got it just so I knew exactly where it was. And I started noticing that it was getting a little bent and looking a little raggedy. And so I took advantage of the service. And what they do is they take a photocopy of it and then they um, and then they will laminate that. And it it comes out looking really nice. I was so pleased with the final product. And so I'll be keeping that in my wallet and then I'll keep my original vaccination card, which they give back to you. I'll just keep that with my passport um, that way. I have it, but it's not being damaged. And, you know, if we start getting boosters or something and we're using that same card, I can just take that card in and they can add whatever stamp or sticker or whatever they're going to use to show that you've had a booster shot. And then I can get an updated version of my vaccination card once that happens. So that's just to know absolutely free. Um, Staples doesn't have an end date I saw listed of when you can do this, but from what I saw online, Office Depot is offering it through July 25th, I believe. So go ahead and get that done if you haven't already. And for anyone who was wondering um, about my second vaccination, because I had just gotten it done when I recorded last week, it wasn't as bad as my first one. The first, the first vaccine that I got, as I had mentioned, it really hurt. It, I, f- I felt it all over my body. My arm definitely hurt. Um, the biggest side effect for me was just I had no energy. I was exhausted. Uh, the day after, the Wednesday after getting my vaccination, I literally slept all day. And then I was awake for a few hours, and I was like, great. Now I'm just going to not be able to sleep tonight. Nope, not the case. Still slept all through the night. So that was the biggest thing was just completely low energy. But um, I didn't I didn't feel nearly as bad as the first time. So if anyone has a really bad first time, just know it doesn't necessarily mean you'll have a horrible second shot. Like I like that was my experience. So um just sharing that out there because, but keep in mind, everyone's experience is completely different. Um, but yeah. And then also, uh, I mentioned at the end of last week's podcast, um, but I'm involved with a group, uh, the Seattle Cultural Accessibility Consortium. Um, and you can learn more about the group 
uh, by visiting the website that they have, which is seattlecac.org. And right now, uh, the Washington Give Big campaign is going on, and this is uh, focused around helping fund nonprofits, you know, getting donations in from the public. And I did post last week, you can go back to the, you can go to the Facebook page and see it. I have the link listed. So if you would like to support the efforts of the Seattle Cultural Accessibility Consortium, you can. And this is an organization that works really hard with museums and um, other, and theaters and other things that promote the arts to make sure that they're creating experiences where people of all abilities are able to take advantage um, and and have a meaningful experience with art. So I think it's something really important. Uh, when I was younger, my parents you know, took me to museums. They took me to musicals, to the theater. And it's something that I've, consid- I've continued to do and I love doing, but it is a different experience. And sometimes I can't get as much out of it. For me, it was a real game changer when um, they started, gosh, probably when I was 15 was maybe the first time I'd used one. But when museums, especially art museums, started using those um, those little audio packs that you can have where it, it describes the painting in detail and then um, also gives an audio description of the plaque that's usually set next to it that gives context and history around it with a guided tour. That made a huge difference for me. And um, I'm just hoping that the work that I'm doing with the um, SCAC is going to help further that um, further that type of work as well as creating closed captioning for people with, with hearing issues as well as, you know, anyone who has autism or any sort of other disability or chronic illness that makes it a lot more difficult to be able to go into these public spaces and take advantage of them like maybe they once were able to um, or maybe they've never been able to take advantage of it like most people can. So it's a really great organization and we do really good work. So, you know, if it's something that speaks to you, please go ahead, donate. Any amount makes a difference. Um, As well as there are events that are put on throughout the year through SCAC. And so you can visit the website again, seattlecac.org to learn more about those. But yeah, that's everything that I really wanted to cover. I kind of just wanted to go over what it's like going to the eye doctor since it's a very different experience for myself. Um, I do these once a year, um, both of the appointments, my neural ophthalmologist as well as my my retinal specialist I see once a year. Um, and, you know, you might think, oh, you probably don't look forward to it. I actually do just because they're good people. Like I said, like they're really enjoyable people to be around. They have great personality. It's not a sterile feeling experience. Um, I'd say the thing that I dislike the most is the bill that I get at the end because this isn't like going to your standard optometrist. These are specialists. And um, with specialists comes specialist price tags. Uh, but uh, there, there is a reason why um, – my husband and I pay the premium for the, the highest level of health insurance. Um, and it's for things like this as well as being able to, for me to take advantage of 
counseling services and things like that to, to take care of myself in every way, not just physically, but mentally as well. So with that, um, make sure that you have subscribed to the podcast on whatever platform you like listening to. Please tell a friend, a colleague, anyone who you think could be interested in this podcast and hearing a different perspective um, on what it's like going through life as well as DEI, as well as accessibility. Uh, if you haven't already, please rate and review the podcast so that even people you don't know are able to easily learn about the podcast and find it. And I'll see you next time. Bye.